Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel assured him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent And unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we pray now that as we spend our time focusing on what your word says, that you would do a work in our hearts and in our church, that you would increase our faith. And Lord, for those who walked in here this morning in unbelief, living without faith in you, I pray that you would use this time, use this message, use your words to call them to faith in Christ. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, last week we opened our series on the Gospel of Luke and focused on just the first four verses of the book. In the opening verses, Luke, his writing, we saw how careful he was to write a reliable and orderly account for those who would be reading this book. And so that his readers would have certainty regarding the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it should be encouraging for us to see that God understands that it might be difficult for us to really believe what he says in the Bible. For example, 
God has made big promises in the Bible. Not least among those promises is that the Lord Jesus will return. But it's been quite a long time since he made that promise, and, and the Lord has not yet returned. And you know how when someone says that they're going to do something, and, 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 and then you wait, and you wait, and you wait some more, and then days turn into weeks, which turn into months, and eventually years, well, you, you know, you, you begin to doubt that the person is ever going to do what they said they would do. Well, that, that's kind of the situation that uh, Christians like us have been living in for the past 2,000 years. And there's been so much time that's passed since God had made that promise, and, and we are still waiting. And one other reason that can be uh, make it difficult for us to believe the Bible is simply how unbelievable God's Word can sound to us. I mean, the, the amazing miracles and works of power done by God or done by the people whom God empowers are just so incredible to us. They're all things that we, we just are not used to seeing. And so, so some of us struggle to believe God's word because so much of it speaks of amazing events that our minds tell us just, just can't be done. And this can be a serious problem for us. For if we struggle to believe God's word, well then, we will struggle to, to have hope. The promises of God's word are what fuel our hope. And if we find that those promises are too much for us to believe, well, then our hope won't take us very far on an empty tank. For the people who we meet in this initial passage from Luke's gospel, they were actually in a very similar situation to where we are today. They had God's word. They had God's promises. But it had been a long time, over 400 years, in fact, since God had sent them a prophet God's last word to his people through a prophet was, was that he would come to them. He had promised to raise up a king from the line of their greatest king, David, but, but now they were a, a small piece of the Roman Empire, and King Herod, who was ruling over them, was not in the line of David. And unlike the promised king, Herod was not interested in protecting his people, but rather in, in killing his own people in order to protect his power. So this was a sorrowful time in the history of God's people. They were beaten down. It was understandable how some might be questioning if the promises that they were taught from God's word could really be true. They had heard many stories of God's amazing works in, in delivering their people from their enemies, but, but here they were, suffering under the control of a paranoid and violent ruler. There may have been many questioning how God could have let all of this happen. Why, why hadn't he done anything to save them? But then one day, one day an angel shows up in the temple and gives a message to one of the priests serving there and the message is a word from God which declared the time has come. Get ready. Get ready for the salvation I promised. It's time to get prepared. And when you leave here today, 
It's my hope that your faith and confidence in God's word will be strengthened. That you will know it's not foolish to place your hope firmly in God's promises revealed to us in the Bible. So our main theme from this passage this morning is that we ought to be convinced that God is faithful to keep his word no matter how incredible or ancient his word is to us. Uh, Look at this passage uh, kind of divides with uh, the first three verses introducing us to uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth and then get into the main text of the passage where we have uh, the message coming from the angel and then Zechariah and and Elizabeth's response to that message. So first, uh, verses five through seven, God honors faithfulness in the midst of sorrowful times. Throughout the history of, of, of the people of God, there have always been a few who were faithfully holding on to the hope of God's promises. In the Bible, these people are known as the faithful remnant. When it seemed to Elijah that he was the only one left in all of Israel who hadn't turned to worship idols, God informed him that he himself had kept 7,000 people from bowing the knee to Baal. There was still a remnant of the faithful in that time. And throughout the Babylonian exile, God had kept a remnant of people faithful to him, those who, who looked to him and put their hope in his promises. And now, as we come to this passage, 400 years after God's people had resettled their land following the Babylonian captivity, and in the midst of these sorrowful times under Roman occupation for God's people, there was clearly a remnant of his people whom God had kept faithful to him. And Luke introduces us to two of them in Zechariah the priest and his wife, Elizabeth. And there are two main things that Luke wants us to know about these two people. One, that they were both righteous before God. That is, they trusted what God said. Therefore, they were obedient to God's commands. They were what Proverbs would call wise. They were wise because they feared the Lord. They oriented their lives around God's word so they were known by the Lord as righteous. Now this doesn't mean that they were sinless or that they never had a bad day. What this description is telling us is that overall they were people known to follow God's word and were putting their hope in him. The second thing we are to know is that they were unable to have children. This was a cause of great sorrow to them, as it is to all husbands and wives who desire to have a family but are just unable to get pregnant. This would have been especially sorrowful for Zechariah and Elizabeth because they live within a culture which tended to to heap shame upon women who were unable to bear children. It was generally believed that that if if you were able to be to have children, if you're able to have a good number of children, then then God was particularly pleased with you. And if you're not able to have children, then that was a sign that God had cursed you. That's why Luke uses the word but at the beginning of verse 7. After hearing how righteous this couple was in verse 6, the first century readers would have been shocked to hear what Luke says about them in verse 7. But... They had no child because Elizabeth was barren 
and both were advanced in years. God is about to do something in the midst of his people that he has promised to do, that those who have put their hope in his promises were praying for him to do, and we are introduced here to the kind of people that he will do this through. They were not well-known people. They were not in high positions. Zechariah was a priest, yes, but there were a few thousand priests in Judea in those days. They were a couple whom their neighbors and family probably felt very sorry for or were suspicious that they must have done something pretty bad for God to not allow them to have children. And here they are, advanced in years, or as the King James Version puts it, well-stricken in years and without children. They could have turned away from God. They, they could have rejected God's word. Their hearts could have grown cold and hardened towards God's promises, but instead, they continued to walk blamelessly before him, trusting and obeying God's word. And we are here, uh, we are to see here that those who do that are not promised a wonderful life of happiness and having everything go your way, but far more often it is living by faith through times of sorrow and hardship, which they did, that lead people of faith to find in God the grace and strength to carry on. The sorrows and disappointments lead us to depend more on prayer, which we will soon be told that they have in fact been doing. Their difficulties lead them to be even closer to God rather than driving them away from him. And God usually does his work through people who humbly trust in him, knowing that they have nothing else to put their hope in, especially in themselves. Secondly, in verses 8 through 17, it is wise to hope in God's word no matter how long we might have to wait. It's wise to hope in his word no matter how long we might have to wait. Uh, the priests were divided up into 24 different divisions. And so each division served at the temple for two weeks out of the year uh, in order to determine which priest in the division would be allowed to enter the inner sanctuary of the temple, that is the holy place, where they would cast lots which was you know, kind of like drawing straws. And only priests who had not been able to have this honor of entering the holy place before in their lifetime were eligible to be among the priests who would draw the lots. And this time, the lot finally fell to Zechariah, this old man who had been a priest a long, long time was finally getting his opportunity to burn incense on the altar within the temple. Zechariah had waited a long time to be chosen to do this. And while in the temple, an angel appears before Zechariah with an incredible message. But I want you to notice in verse 10 here that Luke made sure to inform us that while Zechariah was, was offering the incense, the whole assembly of priests and people gathered at the temple there were outside praying. That is, the people outside were doing in reality what Zechariah was doing inside the temple symbolically. In the Bible, burning incense before the Lord always represents the prayers of the people rising up to heaven, going before him. 
And now this happened every day when the priest brought the incense into the temple to burn. Everyone else would gather outside and pray. But Luke wants us to note that this remarkable visitation by God's angel happened while they were praying. Major things happen when God's people gather to pray. We are not always shown what happens, as these people weren't shown what happened. But God wants us to know that he works through our prayers. In Acts 1 and 2, the Holy Spirit comes down in power upon the Christians in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And this happened while they were gathered together to pray. And again, in Acts chapter 4, while the church had gathered to pray, it says, the place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. When Peter was in prison and was most likely going to be killed, the church had gathered to pray at the house of Mary, the mother of Mark. And God sent an angel to Peter to release him from prison. And then when Paul and Barnabas were in prison in Philippi, they prayed and sang hymns together while they were locked in the stocks. And then God sent an earthquake that shook the prison, opening all the doors and causing everyone's chains to fall off. And the head jailer came to believe the gospel after experiencing the power of God through the prayers of his people. I wonder, when you gather to pray with others in the church, do you ever think that God actually is going to do something? Do you expect God to do great things through your prayers? Scripture sure shows us that that's what happens. We know sometimes he does. But we also know sometimes he makes us wait to see it. That was the case here with Zechariah. For when the angel shows up after picking up Zechariah off of the floor and calming him down, the angel tells him, your prayer has been heard. An angel was sent from God and he tells Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. We, we heard your prayer. One of the reasons why the angel is there delivering this message to Zechariah is because Zechariah had been praying. And since he is an old man, and what he's about to hear from the angel hadn't happened until now, we can safely assume Zechariah had been waiting a very long time for the answer to his prayer as well. God was giving Zechariah and his wife a son. But not just so they could enjoy finally having a child. No, this son would be a fulfillment of God's promise to his people. This son would be used by God to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That is, the son will be used by God to lead a revival. He will lead people to repentance. He will turn the hearts of people away from whatever idols they had been pursuing, be it wealth or, or pleasure or power or just their own selves, and he will turn them to the Lord. And the angel goes on to say that this son will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready for the Lord 
a people prepared. In saying this, the angel is referencing the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Malachi when God promised that through them that he would send a prophet to prepare the way for the Messiah that is the Savior, that is the King whose reign would never come to an end and who would deliver his people from all their enemies. Those prophecies were uttered some 400 to 600 years prior to this message, uh, to this meeting here in the temple. So it wasn't only Zechariah who had waited a long time for this. God's people for generations have been waiting for this son to be born, for this prophet to come to prepare them for the coming of the Savior. They had lived through so many years of waiting, wondering, hoping, and praying. Now the wait was over. God was sovereignly taking action to fulfill his word. Even even the expected son's name was a message to Zechariah that he was to have the name John, which means Yahweh is gracious. Yahweh, the name for God, was showing his grace to Zechariah and Elizabeth by giving them the son they'd longed for and showing his grace to his people, the faithful remnant, by showing up and announcing his plan for their redemption is still in effect. His word will be fulfilled. Thirdly, in verses 18 through 25, we see Zechariah and Elizabeth's response to this, and we learn it's wise to hope in God's word no matter how incredible it sounds. It's wise to hope in God's word no matter how incredible it sounds. Look at verses 18 through 25 here. Now, as we think about this, let's pause and just you know, realize how familiar this story sounds to us. You know, that is, if you are familiar with the storyline of Scripture, How often has God chosen to act in just this way as he was declaring to Zechariah here? Uh, This angel of the Lord had just announced to Zechariah that he and his wife would no longer be childless, that they would have a son. By the way, God was not asking Zechariah if this was okay with him. God was, was, was not seeking his permission or even his blessing. God is just sovereignly declaring that this is about to happen whether he agreed with it or not. But Zechariah's response, well, unfortunately for him, it was one of unbelief. How shall I know this, he says. Which is more literally, he says, according to what? Or on what basis will this happen? It's a question of of, of unbelief. It's kind of like, you know, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. And we can, of course, can understand his doubts. For, for again, he says, For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. But think about it. You know, who else in history, in the history of God's people, has had a similar message given to them? Maybe Abraham and Sarah. You know, they were very well advanced in years and had kind of a hard time believing that, that God's promise to give them a son would actually happen? Or Isaac and Rebecca, who were married for 20 years without children before God answered their prayers and gave them twins? There's also the example of Rachel. Or 
the parents of Samson, or Hannah, the mother of Samuel. God used the barrenness of the wives of the patriarchs and God's people to show us that he is definitely the author of the plan of salvation. It is his doing. He is bringing it in his time and through the people that he so chooses and he does all that he pleases and nothing is impossible for him. And here God was doing it again with Zechariah and his barren wife, Elizabeth. Now, yes, it was incredible for them to believe this, but God had done incredible a few times before. It would be wise for us to believe his word as it would have been wise for Zechariah. And the angel's response here is striking. Look at verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Let's hear this, friends. Let's hear this message that he speaks. There, there really is a God who is sovereign over all things. This angel came from his very presence to bring this message. The message was hard for Zechariah to believe, but I think Gabriel's message here in verse 19 is more along the lines of, of where our struggle lies. Do we really believe that there, there is a God like this? Do we really believe that, that he is sovereign over the universe? Do we really believe that, that he can do all that he pleases to do, what, whatever he wants to do? If we say we, we, we do believe, then how is it really affecting our lives? Are we any different than our neighbors who don't really care if there's a God or not? What happened to Zechariah here is a clear wake-up call to each of us. God takes the sin of unbelief very seriously. Maybe especially for those who are confessing believers. So let us be aware of our deadly tendency we have towards unbelief. Gabriel is, is saying his message is from God himself, and it's given as an invitation for those who hear to, to choose to believe it, to choose faith. And once we choose faith, which means we accept that the God who speaks uh, about this truly is, and, and, and that he has spoken, and that he is active in the world to save his people. Will we believe that? Will we choose faith? Once we do that, once we do choose faith, every word from God we hear and think about, no matter how incredible it might sound to us or to others, it will do a work in our hearts to build even more faith. That's what God's word does. It creates faith, and then it builds up faith. And that's what we see happening with Elizabeth in this passage. Notice how different her response is to all of this. Of course, we're only given you know, what she says after she was already pregnant, but, but what we hear is the sound of faith that has been strengthened, the sound of faith that has been 
deepened. Look at the last verse, verse 25. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Here, Elizabeth said a little bit more than she realizes. This happens a lot in, in the scriptures. When, when, when she was referring, uh, or sorry, what she was referring to here was the reproach that she felt from a society that really believed there was something very wrong with you if you were a wife who couldn't bear children. She felt ashamed. She felt disgraced. But now the Lord was, was graciously removing all of that from her. God was definitely working through her situation to take away her reproach and the reproach or shame of all those who had looked to him in faith. For her son, John, the message, Yahweh is gracious, would prepare the way for another son. Another son born through another miraculous birth who would be the one who would take the re reproach of all of God's people upon himself and suffer in our place on the cross. We have all felt shamed. We have all felt disgraced for various reasons. But there is a greater reproach that we probably have never felt the full shame of before, and that is the horrible shame of our sin before a holy God. There's nothing more reproachful than knowing that you are guilty before God. That you have no excuse for your sins. That you deserve God's just wrath for being the sinner that you are, which the Bible tells us all of us are. But the hope of the people of God, the hope of the faithful remnant, in his word, which assures us that Christ Jesus took our reproach upon himself on the cross, that he paid for our sins in his sacrificial death on the cross, there, there's nothing more reproachful than being nailed to a cross of wood and then left there to hang naked for everyone to see until you die. That is what Christ did for us. He took our reproach upon himself. And he took it away from us forever. And this is God's word. It's inviting us to believe this. Do we believe it? Do we have faith in this word? Have you put your faith in Christ and in his saving work for you on the cross? My friends, it is the only way to have your reproach taken away. It is the only way for you to be looked upon by God as righteous. as his children. Christ took our reproach upon himself and invites us to believe this, to have faith in this. And this morning as we partake in the Lord's table, we're gonna have this acted out for us, this sacrifice that Christ willingly made for us. His body nailed to the tree, his blood poured out for us, and our hope for eternal life and forgiveness of our sins rests firmly in what Christ accomplished for us on that cross.